Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Netflix's Pieces of a Woman, and I have convened my usual rom-com team to talk about something that is most definitely not a rom-com. I'm joined by Lissa Koshbakti. Lissa, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me again, Josh. And Denise Ackerman. Denise, what's up? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad that the three of us are back together, even though it's a little bit more serious this time. <laughs> yeah, so Piece of a Woman, as I said, is Netflix's new release. It is not their newest, I'd say, because I figured that might be inaccurate with how often they are releasing movies these days. Uh, but it is from Hungarian director Cornel Mundrukso and written by Kata Weber. They are a real-life couple, and the film is based on a play that they made that was based on their own unfortunate real-life experiences. The movie stars Vanessa Kirby as Martha and Shia LaBeouf as Sean. They are a couple who lives in Boston. Martha works a white-collar job of sorts while Sean is a construction worker. They're also expecting their first child, and Martha's overbearing mother, Elizabeth, played by Ellen Burstyn, is very much in the picture. Uh, when Martha goes into labor about five minutes into the movie, they have the, the midwife that they have hired to uh, help them through the birth is unable to make it. They are sent a backup midwife uh, who they do not personally know. The birth, unfortunately, uh, goes south, and the baby does not survive. And the movie is largely about them coping with the aftermath of that, with their relationship, with their other family members, if they're going to uh, engage in a legal battle over the death of the baby with the midwife. And uh, it deals with all of these different things. I'm going to start with you, Denise, because usually you're here for fun stuff. Uh, up until October, it had always been rom-coms whenever I talked to you about movies. We talked about Pride and Prejudice, which isn't exactly a rom-com, but was certainly, I think, a little bit more fun subject matter. So I'm going to ask you now, did I just ruin your week by asking you to watch this movie? No, so I, I've actually been having trouble sleeping. So I, over the weekend, I like woke up at 2 in the morning. I was like, may as well just watch this film. Mm. Um, but I think... It is kind of a watch two two o'clock in the morning in your room in the dark kind of movie, I would say. It was. It, I I definitely set um, that sort of scene for myself, um, and I think, you know, I like films that have a heavy subject matter. I think, um, and I'll touch on it uh, when we we kind of discuss this, the three of us. But um, I did watch Rabbit Hole, which I feel like with Nicole Kidman, which I feel like this film. Mm -hmm. um, a, mirrors a lot of it's a heavy um, movie was, but it's really good yeah it's super and I feel like that one did things um, in a different way than, than this one did perhaps but um, this is a heavy subject matter it, it did leave me thinking and I think that like often um, miscarriages and uh, and even like stillbirths are, are still uh, kind of subject matter that we as a society are not able to to treat super respectfully. Like, you know, I've seen plenty of women talk about how, um, you know, people that they know after they have a miscarriage or a stillbirth are like, well, just try again. You know, there's a grieving process that has to happen. Um, and I appreciated the way that was treated here, just like I did when I watched uh, rabbit hole, even though, um, you know, by the time that Nicole Kidman's, uh, character's son died, he was like a toddler, maybe three or four. Um, but I, I'm glad we're talking about this. You know, I like, I like watching things with levity, but I also like talking about things that are a little bit more um, thoughtful. So. 
Yeah, it's, 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 and I'm interesting you mentioned Rabbit Hole because that's a movie I haven't watched it in six years, but I remember being uh, very moved by it. Obviously, Nicole Kidman is a great actress and everything, but it was like, I think Miles Teller's like first movie where he just kind of like booked it out of drama that's school. Right. And I mean, was pretty impressive in a sign of that he would be able to handle a lot of other dramatic roles in movies. The reference point I thought about when I watched this was a movie that came out on Netflix two years ago. Don't, not sure if either of you happened to watch it called Private Life has uh, Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti. They play a New York couple that they're both like involved in the theater scene and they're kind of artsy and they, but, like, they've always wanted to have a child and have been unable to have a child. Uh, had trouble conceiving, had trouble like going through adoption processes. It's just like never really, it was, they more try to conceive. And then when they finally think about adopting, even that's how it turns into a thing. And it's it kind of, it's just the kind of subject matter that's maybe not quite as taboo as miscarriages or stillbirth or anything like that, but still something that doesn't get examined quite that much in movies. And they made a whole movie about it. And I think it, if nothing else, I think it, there is some value as Denise said, and actually, you know, taking the time to go deep on an issue like this, though, I mean, I think we can we'll get into again whether or not they did every aspect of that super well uh lissa what was your uh what was your big takeaway from pieces of a woman yeah i definitely echo what denise said i i agree i think my big takeaway from this is it's really nice to see stuff that women and and couples go through on the big screen um i was reading a interview with Vanessa Kirby, the star of the movie, and she said this is the first sort of film she's seen that has portrayed this, so that was really refreshing. Um, And I know the adjective refreshing is not something you might use after seeing this film, but for a lot of people, it was very heartbreaking, and I feel like I'm sort of numb to it because I didn't think it was heartbreaking. I thought the ending was quite hopeful because it's a process that a lot of people go through in life, and it kind of mimics when you lose someone and just showing that, you know, a miscarriage is is similar to that, if not even more, of losing someone. So I thought it was a really insightful film, and um, my takeaway from it was that it was kind of hopeful in the end that life goes on, and as much as it hurts to heal that time heals all wounds, it's really true in the end. So I really loved the film. Well, I think one of the interesting things about the film overall and how it's been received is that I feel like I I took some time to read some criticism, not as much as I might normally, but I think a prevailing opinion about this film is that, I mean, I don't I don't want to make it sound positive, but like the the first thirty five minutes are incredible because it is incredibly well done, and that the movie struggles to keep up that level of quality the rest of the way. Though I think that's kind of like an unfair criticism, much in the same way. I don't know if you guys were big fans of *A Star Is Born* a few years back, but like a lot, everyone for that movie was like, "Yeah, well, the first half's great, but the second half not so much." It's like but that's just kind of the story. Like this is a remake of other movies, and uh, it's going to be sad in that second half. I'm sorry, it's not going to be as fun just based on where that story goes, and they're only going to change it so much when they're adapting it. And it's like here when you are the inciting incident for this whole story is shot specifically in this way where it's one long tracking shot for 30 minutes around this Boston townhouse, which just ratchets up the intensity continuously until this tragic event comes to a conclusion. I I, I don't want to fault the movie too much for not being able to like reach that high again, for lack of a better term, though I will say, I think that maybe after that, like I'm more mixed though. I think we might all agree that like, those first 35 minutes are incredibly well done for what they wanted to accomplish. Denise, how did you feel as you were watching that? Because, I mean, I was pretty on the edge of my seat. Yeah, I have to say, I also did a little bit of uh, of reading on, on criticism. You know, all the Reddit 
film bros coming out, but um, <laughs> I, they had, you know, these were sort of, um, there were Reddit film bros with opinions on pieces of a woman. Yes. With similar, um, I, 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 that is a corner, that is a corner of the internet. I am happy to avoid <laughs> similar takeaway. Um, you know, I think those 35 minutes are done so masterfully. Of course it is that singular shot, the way that you, you know, there's almost this feeling, obviously, if you, you saw the trailer or you know anything about this film and you're not going in blind, you, you know that this is not going to end well. But I think there are elements of those 35 minutes, the spots of blood, um, you know, the, the uneasiness, like this, this tension is so palpable that um, it was kind of hard for me to, to keep watching continuously because I just knew what was coming. And then um, I'm sure both of you almost felt a, a sigh of relief when the baby uh, came out breathing and, and was not born uh, stillborn. But then, you know, as as their daughter, you know, as um, Sean and Martha's daughter turns blue, you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be the end. So I I was really moved. I have to say the, the first 35 minutes are probably the best of the film. But, um, you know, there are there are really good moments. And I and one thing I do want to say is obviously this is Vanessa Kirby's like Oscar moment where I'm sure we'll we'll touch on that. But, um, you know, for any of us who have gone through grief, this idea of just existing um, and just taking it day by day is so apt. Right. Some days are just going to be going to be better than others. And um, I think that from the moment she is having this horrible labor and this like this pain of the labor and then the emotional pain of losing her daughter, I think she she balanced those of those things very well. So, yeah, I again, I I can't echo Denise enough, but I think what I would say to those who keep commenting how the first 30 minutes is phenomenal and the rest kind of drones out, I think that was purposeful because like Denise said, it's it was so anxiety inducing that I feel like I I finally took a breath when the baby breathed. And to be able to do that is obviously very difficult. But I think the buildup in the first 30 minutes is on purpose because the realization that you have this human in your stomach for nine months and you're preparing for it and you're and you know, it it comes down to just those few moments of giving birth to to decide if it's going to be a healthy baby or, you know what I mean? So I think the buildup was really beautiful and that was on purpose because the rest of the film just shows you how much grief consumes you and how slow it feels and how it kind of drags on. And for me, I read that, I think this is true. The first, the, it was a 22 minute scene that took one take, Mm. I believe I read, I have to double check with that, but yeah, I should have done my research. I don't know. I don't know. I, they, know. I, I, I don't. I, I, I. But bad job by me. I don't know if they actually made it look like one take or they actually did right. that in one take. Either way, it's, it's impressive. Either way, it's impressive. And the fact that I don't think Vanessa Kirby has children herself, but the fact that she was able to make those guttural sounds as if she was going through it herself were phenomenal. Like and like Denise said, definitely Oscar worthy by itself. Yeah, and I think listen. I even just because I I know I'll forget it. I think what you said. Um, probably sets the tone for this entire conversation moving forward is that like when good meaning or people who mean well will, will tell a mother who has lost her, her baby after those nine months, you know, there is a loss of the expectation you had for your daughter, um, thinking that you'll go through her first. Um, there's an entire future that you plan for your children. Um, and I think that's why like seeing 
Sean put up that those photographs of you know the ultrasound and then having that shatter um, just made that even more painful. So yeah, so it looks like they did do a thirty minute take with no cuts, which is uh, which is again also even super impressive, e- even even more impressive because uh, there's ways to fake that, but they they did it. Yeah, and I'll and, I, and I'll say like there have been so many different versions of doing something showy with the camera like that in the last 10 years in different contexts in different types of movies and TV shows where whole episodes where they do that whole movies like Birdman where they do it like that though Birdman uh wasn't I mean wasn't all in one shot they just made it look like that but there's just been so many different ways it's been done and I I respect that like you know there's the, you run the danger of something like that seeming overdone or a little you know ha- uh, a, a little bit gimmicky or something like that and I think to do it in the context of uh, an event like this uh, gave it a different kind of spin than you often see when people try and do these wonders or tracking shots or uh, whatever you want to call it. And I, I think that doing it in the context of a uh, of a birth like that that just allows that it's just going to inherently make you even more tense in a slow build type of way than just like an action scene or something like that is uh, is it a, is a really impressive way to do it. And again. Yeah, of course, nothing after the movie is going to seem as tight as something like that. But again, as I think Alyssa said, when you're processing grief like that, like I think it's going to be all over the place. That's what your daily experience is going to feel like. And and as Denise said, I think what works for me so much about what works for me more about some parts of the movie than others after the opening scene are just the scenes of them getting through life and learning how to exist and understanding like what it's like to be a per- even I thought about what it's like to be me because I'm thinking about how oh wow like I never know what that person at the mall is going through or something like that like you never know what any one person you happen to pass by at any point any day could actually be going on in their life and it could be something super major and I'm sure we've all walked by people that were going through similar stuff and didn't even know it which is like i don't know it was just a powerful thought to have as you're watching her go through that movie and that's why i wanted to like kind of highlight those moments of the movie first because denise already kind of did it and that's like the stuff that worked for me most in the second half of the movie and it seems like you kind of agree denise yeah i so i know i'm i'm trotting out um rabbit hole again but i i think what i really noticed is that in that film as well um the role of um, husband and wife are kind of similar. I forget what Nicole Kidman's character and her husband's character are named, but at least with Sean and Martha, Sean seems to kind of, you know, want to address certain things. And I mean, he, he ends up colluding with Elizabeth and uh, even though they don't like each other. Um, but a lot of the processing that Vanessa Kirby's character does is um, removing signs of, you know, that the baby existed, right? Like taking the bassinet out and things like that. And I noticed that that was sort of similar with Nicole Kidman's character. And I assume that like, what I like is that grief is processed very differently by, by some, you know, by, by anyone really. Some people shut down, other people choose to, um, you know, remove at least for the time being any feeling of pain or, or missing of of that person that you've lost. So I have to say that like the, the day to day, uh, grappling with grief is, is, uh, something I, I definitely resonated with as well. So yeah, I, I didn't actually even think about it till you just said it, but I, so a week ago today, I had a close family member die who, or not a family, excuse me, not a family member, someone who was close enough that like I would refer to as uncle, even though they weren't a blood relative. First time someone had died since the pandemic started that like I would have traveled for their funeral in normal times. 
And so I actually didn't think about this as I was watching the movie because this was someone who'd lived a, a long, successful, happy life and was 83 or 84 years old. But at the same time, like, was one of my grandma's best friends. And she, I, I talked to her earlier tonight, and she's like, you know, ex, ex, saying, hey, did you, did you grab, the, did you see this article about Uncle Fred? Do you see that one? Do you see that one? And that's how, that's something that's like actually helping her is to like actually collect these things. And which is nice because people go through it different ways, but I actually put bullet points down as I was watching the movie, kind of taking note of what Denise just mentioned where it's like, wow, they're actually showing a lot of interesting ways in which people kind of cope. Some of it was a little more on the nose than others, because I was like, Oh, that's interesting where, uh, some, like you said, they might, she might just put, put away all these pictures, uh, or, uh, there's a whole th- a whole subplot really about what you're going to actually do with the body, which I really didn't even think about, which is uh, I, I, in my head, it's like, oh, you either just bury it or cremate it. But there's like a whole discussion about like whether or not you're going to then give it to science, because who knows? Maybe that is something that like could actually make her like actually feel like this was something good came out of this. If it can there can be some kind of scientific discovery. Obviously, her mom and her partner uh, don't agree. And another way people might cope is throw themselves into hobbies. Uh, though I thought maybe the uh, planting apple seeds was a little on the nose about like you know creating a new life or whatever. But uh, I, I did find it interesting in that we're watching her get through. Though I think the moments that like were most like worked for me. Maybe I don't know how you felt about this, Alyssa, but like uh, so cringy watching her run into her mom's friend at the store. But at the same time, like yeah. all too real, and you could easily see something like that happening. Yeah, I would agree. I just, I just thought that it was cringy too, and but it, the reality of the cringy in a good way, where it's like, I mean, I, I don't like cringe stuff in general, but I'm right. like, oh my god, that's probably way too true to life. Right, it's, it's, it's way too true to life because, um, and I just cringe too when she had to go back to work because it's like, ugh, like you have the baby shower at work and like it's not where you can choose, it's not like social media where you can choose to tell people like an exciting life event, like you have a stomach that has been there and growing for like. Eight, nine months and you can't just be like I don't want to talk about it like what do you put a do you put like a sticky note on your back say like don't talk to me about it you can't do that when it's something visible so I just like it was cringy in good ways but the only bad cringy I would say was agreeing with you about kind of the on the nose apple thing I I thought it was very sweet at the end when you got to see them grow but it was kind of repetitive with the last scene with the tree but I'm sure we'll get into that um, I mean, there's also a, there's also a bridge that is slowly being rebuilt and connected right. as one. I mean, there I'm is, an I, English. Go ahead. Sorry. No. So what, what are you going to say? I was going to say, like, I know I'm an English major and I'm supposed to love like metaphors and all that. But I got to a little bit be too much. At how, some how about and I, I don't I, I have a whole separate discussion we're going to have to have at the end about Shia LaBeouf because he's been in the right. news for some not so great yeah. things recently. But the one moment where he becomes somewhat abusive is he throws a yoga ball at her face when she's smoking a cigarette. And then she uses the yoga ball to deflate the big round object. So there right. are. A lot of moments like that where it's like you got, this movie did such a good job in some of these like smaller day-to-day mundane life moments of, like you said, going back to work, seeing someone that you don't feel like talking to but you have to talk to even though you're in a really bad point in life or – Running uh, into the woman you're having an affair with, you're with your wife with. Oh, my god. Oh, well, that's its own other thing. And then – but also like you know even super uncomfortable but also, I mean, probably not too, not too unrealistic, uh, seeing a child in a store and then she's lactating. Uh, and not very comfortable, but like, there's a lot of moments like that where it feels like the movie kind of gets it right. So it's like, you don't really need to go overboard with these other, you know, uh, this other symbolism. 
Exactly. No, I think some of it does feel a little like film student-y green light. I will say yeah. that the apple tree at the end, we'll get to that. <laughs> but I think Josh touched on something that, um, that even I found interesting is that the physical aspects of rearing a child, but also, I guess, losing a child, that doesn't go away. The body has prepared for nine months, so of course she's going to be lactating. So even though there's like a phantom child, not to say it in a way that feels like removed from the situation that it's still you know very painful is that you know she's wearing diapers in that scene where she comes back to work after and I just thought it was so emblematic of how we treat you know women going through this and, and just like in general um taking time off for uh you know to to be with your child when when they're born um is that I think she got maybe a total of like two a month or two weeks or it was it was a series of several weeks she's like oh, all my 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 time off is is up um, and so it's just like, yep, you, you just have to keep working and unless you want to lose your job as well. So, um, I thought that was also kind of a, it's own wry commentary on, on, uh, America. Parental, on parental leave in America. So, yeah. yeah, no, uh, super, super uncomfortable. And like, it, like I said, it just gets, it gets a lot of that stuff really right, which is like what worked for me most is just, uh, imagining what it's like to, uh, be a person having to go through something like this, though I, I do wonder, I, I don't, I mean, well, I guess, so the movie's like two hours and six minutes long. So I think there maybe is a version of this movie that's a lot tighter that is like an hour and 35 minutes that is just all about that. And maybe you're, you're, you're taking out some more quote unquote dramatic stuff if you only focus on that. Do I think that might be a more solid movie if you like limit it to that aspect of things, which is, that is basically, that, that is basically what Rabbit Hole is. It's just slightly different subject matter, but that's what it is. Rabbit Hole is not as, uh, not, not as wide ranging of a movie as this one is. And I think you could even have the big scene that's going to possibly get both Ellen Burstyn and, and Vanessa Kirby Oscars. They have a big showdown when they're at a meal at Elizabeth's home later. And you could still have that scene probably without this movie ever stepping foot in a courtroom. Cause I spent a lot of time like, uh, trying to bounce back to the, and I guess this is the benefit of something you can do on Netflix, but I spent a lot of time like bouncing back to that first scene, uh, trying to like piece together what the legal case would be. Cause there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of discussion about this. And I think, Alyssa and Denise and I were talking a little bit before we started about how, oh, there is actually a bit of a stigma with respect to uh, midwives and just using that as opposed to using that service as opposed to going to a hospital. And this movie dabbles in that phenomenon, but doesn't necessarily fully explore it. But it's more just something that's mentioned as an entryway into talking about whether or not they're going to bring criminal charges against the uh, against the midwife whose name is hold on. I had it here. Uh, her, her name is Eva. It's, she's played by Molly Parker, who's a very good actress. And uh, there's a lot of talk because everyone in uh, Martha's family wants her to pursue charges against uh, the midwife. I don't think I don't actually think Sean is as uh, vocal about that necessarily as he is other other aspects of their life. He wants to get back to normal, which we can also talk about. But uh, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not they're going to press charges. And I'm like, if a midwife got sued, like every time, like there was just an unsuccessful birth, I feel like that would be like something that's like talked about way more, regardless of the fact that there is a stigma that I was aware of or not. I'm like, it can't be that simple that like you just automatically have a lawsuit because of that. And I, I spent so much of the movie like thinking like, wait, 
do they even have a case? And I just get, they kept talking about yeah. it. And like, is there an actual legal case there? I'm a lawyer. It's not exactly the kind of law I do, but it's not, not far enough away that like, I couldn't really try and break it down in my head. So I kept rewinding it going back to like, wait. And then they start talking about whether or not she told them to go to the hospital or not. And I'm rewinding again. It's like, <laughs> it wasn't actually that clear of a moment. And it wasn't like any clear moment where she uh, made some kind of representation to them that turned out to be false. So that was one side of it where I was just, I don't even know, like, how am I supposed to think she has a good legal case was basically what I'm thinking when they kept talking about it. So, one, I felt like I didn't have the proper context for that. Uh, Two, they kept talking about the lawyer that they retained being a prosecutor, but then they kept talking about a civil case. And not to get too technical on you guys, though, and I don't don't want to talk down to you in case you already know your legal terminology better than I thought, but, like, you probably know enough to know that a prosecutor, like, prosecutes, like, criminal people, but they Mm -hmm. kept talking about bringing a civil case, and they talked about how— uh, their cousin who's a lawyer who's played by Sarah Snook, who uh, Denise probably knows from Succession now that she's hopefully been catching up on Succession. Lisa, yeah. you, should, Lisa you should watch it if you haven't. But Great. they keep talking about her as like a civil lawyer, but then they kept talking about her as a prosecutor. And those are two different things. A prosecutor brings a criminal case, and what they're in the courtroom ultimately for is a criminal case because they're talking about her going to prison. But they keep talking about a civil case and how that's what she needs to do to bring justice because the civil case is really what she has control over. A civil case is what you bring when you want to recover monetary damages or get punitive damages against someone as that kind of measure. And that's what you have control of as an individual as opposed to the state. So it didn't really make any sense that they're talking about a civil case for the whole movie. And then it's ultimately about whether or not she's going to go to prison, which isn't the civil case, though they keep like referring to – Sarah Snook's character, whose name is Suzanne, I believe, as both a prosecutor and a civil lawyer. So it seemed like this movie wanted to spend a lot of time on this criminal legal aspect of the movie without having its terminology right and without really, like, giving us – being clear as to, like, if there was a case there to be had or not. So I'm sorry to ramble, guys. I had to get on my legal high horse for a second. But I guess that's – I'm learning. Okay. Well, my question is, as a a layperson and not someone that might get too in their head in the legal terminology like I did – what did you guys think about that corner of the movie? Because I felt like the idea of bringing a, a civil case but not that was not financially motivated was actually kind of interesting to me because the mom clearly has a lot of money. And we can talk a little bit – we're going to talk a little bit about the Shia LaBeouf character and the Shia LaBeouf performance. But that's an interesting aspect of this movie and their dynamic because he's clearly not for money and she is. So they don't need money. They have a nice house even though he's a construction worker. They live in this Boston townhouse. So I, my thinking was that you know, the, the specter of just her taking that action to reco- make a civil recovery as the mom is asking her to do when they have that big showdown, that is enough. I didn't need anything else. What did you guys think about that? I thought a lot about how blame is kind of tossed around in this film. And I think Martha kind of touches on it in that big showdown that she has at her mother's house. But at the end of the day, when mothers decide to do a home birth or a birth at the hospital, it is a choice that they're making, um, you know, willingly to do so, understanding the risk. Sometimes they understand the risks fully. Sometimes they don't. And I think that Martha's mother, Elizabeth, kind of, wants to be able to say, I told you so. And, and she does say it actually pretty rudely during oh, that. Oh God, I, I wrote down that quote, Martha, if uh-huh. you had done it my way, you'd be holding your baby in your arms right now. And I was like, Oh Jesus, I, I had to rewind to watch to make sure, sure I heard that right. 
I was truly like that. I was like, this is going to be something that she's going to be talking about in therapy. Um, but they, I guess they, they <laughs> end up having a, a better relationship at the end of the film, which kind of puzzles me anyway. But well, isn't know, it, is, is, isn't it kind of implied the mom might have like early onset Alzheimer's? So they're yeah, kind of being more as sympathetic. Well, yeah. Which is like not remembering things, but there has, I think when, when people grieve, that's like blame inevitably becomes a way to cope. So for, her mom, who also wants to save face, um, I guess after telling her you need to have your, your baby at the hospital, it, it's a way of saying, see, I told you so. We did everything right. You know, even my daughter did everything right. And because of the um, the midwife's negligence, they I don't have a granddaughter. Um, and I think it's just not that clear cut. I agree with you that some of this terminology, I don't know too much about law, but I agree that some of it became a little bit muffled. Yeah, I think that just talking about the civil case would have made more sense. And I think that like, you know, as we were talking about um, earlier, like I don't recall who did the investigative piece, but either the Washington Post or the New York Times did a piece about women who have either died in childbirth, have lost their uh, child during a home birth or a free birth or whatever it is. And I think that like when you're armed, obviously money could be a factor for, for, Vanessa Kirby's character, it wasn't because she could definitely afford the the fees that, it, you know, to have a child. But in this country, having a child in a hospital can cost like $10,000. So I understand looking for alternatives, you know, but there are a lot of people who have been duped into thinking, you know, this is, if I have, I'll be po- totally fine if I have a complication. And, and unfortunately, you know, women die of pulmonary embolism. Women, you know, you get preeclampsia, your child gets wrapped in a cord or something, things can go wrong um, during a pregnancy. So I think a lot of it was like just trying to cope with what happened. And and no one is truly at fault, I think, is kind of the takeaway that I got, you know, especially during Vanessa Kirby's um, monologue. I don't know, her testimony. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that she gets to that point. I do like that it builds to her coming to that conclusion and that this woman was just doing her best. But I, I, I couldn't tell – the and I think – I guess I should give the movie credit for kind of coming down on that side and not being like, oh, this one was right, this one wasn't. Like it seems like it knows that that's where she needed to end up. It just felt like a lot of wasted energy maybe to get to that point. I don't know. Lisa, did you want this to be a legal thriller? Well, now that you're explaining it in actual knowledgeable <laughs> legal <laughs> background, I'm questioning everything. But – then part of me is like, I don't know what else would be the driving point if it wasn't for legal pursuit. But I think it works now that I'm trying to comprehend what you described because, you know, her mom does have a lot of money. And I think not to make an assumption, but maybe her viewpoint was that, oh, the only way to pinpoint the reason is to pursue money from it. But I think Denise makes a good point to to comment on you know, people, women in in the hospital during pregnancy can can have issues even when you're in the hospital. So it's like the realization of all of that is just to say that I think I think for me the, the dinner table or the table scene was more poignant than the courtroom. Well, it was monologue. also well, it was also interesting because they have that scene where they go see the I don't know if it's the a mortician or a or a. Oh, yeah. uh, or I, I don't remember what kind of doctor they were necessarily seeing. It was, but they, they saw a doctor who was like, look, there's a 67 to 70% chance we never know what happened to your kid. And yeah. uh, so he tells them that. And I'm like, okay, well, 
it's very weird that they're all so gung ho about getting uh, getting this woman uh, on on trial when like we've just seen a scene where we're like we don't know if it was her fault. Like this could have been something that was going to happen no matter where you had that baby. So I was I spent the whole movie being so confused as to like these people seem to think they have a really good case, and maybe I shouldn't have been that bothered by that because as a lawyer, I deal with people that are filing lawsuits that aren't really that good at cases all the time, and they okay. just want to they just want to make some money. So maybe I shouldn't have been that baffled by that. But like they were so adamant that I'm like. Wait, did I miss something? Like, should I? Is it clear this woman really messed up? Because I don't really know if that's the case. So I was just a little confused as to like between that scene with the guy saying we don't know what caused the death, and everyone else saying, "Oh no, you definitely got to bring this lawsuit. You got to have this lawsuit." I'm like, if if we had seen her like looking like more of a hot mess, the the midwife looking like more of a hot mess and being a little confused, but like. I, I, it seemed like he f- held it together fairly well, and it was just like, look, this is within this range. Uh, if it gets a little worse, we're going to have to call a cop. Like, it didn't seem like she did anything crazy wrong. So I just spent the whole movie right. being kind of confused with the adamant, with how adamant everyone else was being about going to a lawsuit, though I appreciated where Martha ultimately ended up. So I guess yeah. they, they got to a good point. i just not sure about how they got there. I, we have, we've made it pretty far into this without actually talking about uh, Shia, Shia LaBeouf Sean. Uh, when, uh, I decided I wanted to, I, I said, su- I would suggest us doing a podcast on this. Oh God, it was within a day of me suggesting that to Lissa. Uh, and, and I think, and I think Denise that like, I think Lissa posted an Instagram story, like the day after we decided we were going to do a podcast on it, Lissa posted an Instagram story at the New York times expose on Shia LaBeouf's past abusive behavior towards his ex-girlfriend FKH Wicks, who was like a rapper that started the movie that he wrote. Uh, that was autobiographical and then started in at playing his father at Honey Boy, which came out in 2019. She was in that movie, and I think probably around the time they did that, they began a relationship, and he was emotionally abusive to her and uh, and uh, physically abusive on at least like one occasion that it talks about. And I was like, oh, great, Lisa, we're about – we just committed to doing a podcast where he plays one half of a failing marriage. I didn't know that much about the movie going in. Um, right. So, uh, I mean, this guy uh, in the movie does um, – do some borderline aggressive behavior. So I guess, listen, my first question would be after watching this, knowing that going in, uh, we don't need to, we could end up having, we could end up being here until midnight if we wanted to do a whole podcast about separating the art from the artist. And I don't want to do that. I, I don't, I don't necessarily think we have the time to do that, but I'll ask you about it in the micro. Was that something you were thinking about as you were watching this? Were you able to put that part of Shia LaBeouf out of your head or did it kind of like, uh, uh, affect your uh, experience watching this movie every time he was on screen because you kind of knew that about him and you were kind of watching him play a character that was uh, pretty on edge. Yeah, it, I, yeah, exactly, Josh. Echoing your words, it was really hard to watch this film in general, knowing what Shia LaBeouf did to FK Twigs. And not only when you see his face in the beginning are you upset, but then he shows actions in the film that are exactly similar to what he did to FKA Twigs, and that's really hard to watch. It was tough to... This film was tough because, obviously, I don't know what the right choice was. I've heard that people argued that the film shouldn't have come out, the film should have been pushed. Um, I I, I would disagree with that because it's like... that. Then you're, like, letting his behavior, like, affect Vanessa Kirby's career, you know? 
Yeah, that's where I was kind of viewing is just Vanessa is the star of the whole thing and she gave such a phenomenal Oscar worthy she did such a phenomenal yeah, job. And, and, it's and, so and, hard to like not think about that. Should also mention Ellen Burson, very good chance she becomes the oldest ever female Oscar nominee. Right. And I mean the the whole the rest of the cast was spectacular. Um I think Jimmy is it Jimmy Fails, Jimmy Falls. He was wasted. He was there for two seconds. I was so happy to see him. Um he's from Last Black Man in San Francisco. Wait, um, remind me where he popped up, because I, I know it was quick. I'm almost forgetting again. He first popped up when she came back to work sooner than thought. Yeah. He oh, he's the guy at her desk. Right, right, right. Yes. Right. And, the and then they ended up kissing, and I was like, uh-oh. But, um, and then as, you know, Denise and I uh, were on a comedy event planning team together, so we have to bring up, uh, is it, I can't pronounce her name. Eliza is Sussinger. it Isla? Schoenner, yes, I can't pronounce her last name. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and Benny Safty, very interesting supporting ben performance. So, so yeah, you don't, you, you, I get, I get it. Like you don't, uh, you don't want to let Shia ruin something where all these people obviously worked hard on. But how did you, how, how did you process his presence the rest of the movie? I kind of ignored him. I tried so hard to ignore him during most of the film. Which is, which like, is kind of what Elizabeth does which, pretty do. <laughs> which she did, and she rightfully did so. I think in reaction to. Sean in the movie and Shia. I don't know what commentary she made, but it was really difficult. Bottom line is difficult to watch him. Don't know what the appropriate response was, but I ignored him the rest of the film. And I obviously stand in solidarity with uh, FK Twigs and everyone else who's come out against him. But difficult to watch him. It's it's unfortunate, but um, Vanessa Kirby, obviously the star of the movie for me. I don't know if Denise yeah, wanted to Yeah, I don't know. We're, Denise, how aware were you of that Shia LaBeouf New York Times story? And uh, did it make it hard for you to watch this movie at all, knowing about that stuff? Yeah, I read about it. I'm, I actually really like FK Twigs. She does a lot of um, all-pop, very talented artists. And she was very charitable um, in her um, condemnation of his behavior. He was emotionally, sexually, and and physically violent with her and we see a lot of that same behavior here where he you know he rips her leggings off he, he rips um Vanessa Kirby's leggings off it, it, it's just it was that was difficult to watch and then of course when he starts calling her a bitch and and he throws that medicine ball at her it was difficult to watch I think it just became this like kind of ironic thing to watch him uh, play a role that he apparently was very good at. So, you know, well, I think the problem is, is that, you know, when abusive people inevitably get called on their abuse, I think he owned up to it, but it's like, you know, part of being, you know, part of rehabilitating abusive behavior, especially if you are that abusive person is realizing that actions have consequences. So I agree that no one's career should get derailed because of his behavior that he totally had control over. But, you know, um, you know, him be, being addicted to substances or, or to drinking um, was never the excuse. And if his um, if his career tanks as a result, I think it's just a matter of like his his own behavior causing that. And it, it sucks because you can tell that Shia LaBeouf has always been a talented actor, but that does not that doesn't uh, salvage him at all. For yeah. Me. So as I said, I, I stand in solidarity with, with FK Twigs because she was very kind to him in, in, in describing how he, he ruined her life. And she still feels that effect to this day. First of all, agree with everything you said about like her handling herself. Well, I'm not as familiar with her work, but was, I mean, she was, like you said, 
probably overly uh, measured in the way she uh, t- talked about that thing. But I not, not want to say I'm glad you called him talented uh, because, again, this isn't really about him in that way. But the fact is he he's a really talented actor. And because of that, I actually was able to forget some of that stuff for a lot of this movie until he actually starts exhibiting the behavior that we know Shia LaBeouf did because the character in the movie is a recovering addict. Shia LaBeouf has struggled with addiction, and he's abusive towards Martha and – as we now know, Shia LaBeouf has exhibited abusive behavior in the past. But up until that stuff happens in the movie, uh, I was actually able to set it aside because he is a really freaking good actor. Uh, and that's and which is like but then to have that realization was also like kind of troubling to myself. It's like because of that is what all will we excuse? Uh, because like we'll excuse a, a lot of stuff because he ha- he's had like a I mean, he's been in the public consciousness for like. 20, 20 years up at this point, basically, and uh, did a lot of really good stuff. Had, like, a weird four-year run where after he, like, had been doing all the Transformers movies and blockbusters and he didn't really do a lot of stuff. And then, like, really kind of, like, had a really interesting, like, last five years where he did American Honey, played John McEnroe in a in a John McEnroe, Bjorn Borg movie. Then he had Honey Boy, which he wrote the same year that he starred in Peanut Butter Falcon, which is, like, a really a big indie hit. Uh, and then he got to be in this movie, which is like obviously had a lot of really good people in it and was getting Oscar buzz. So it's like uh, someone that like had had troubling behavior even before this stuff with FKA Twigs got to hang around because he put out incredible work. And I enjoyed a lot of that work. And I'm like, I'm part of the problem for like buying movie tickets to go see all that stuff. Uh, so like it really made you think because I was able to like almost forget about it because he gave a pretty good performance in this movie up until a point. And then it's like, well, look, you're this guy is like so troubled and maybe you wanted to cast Shia LaBeouf because he has that rough personality. He's kind of on edge as part of his public persona. And if that's what you're going for with this performance, yeah, probably a good guy to cast, but you're, uh, you're bringing that risk upon yourself by, uh, doing this. And what I will say though, is that what, when I was forgetting about all that other stuff that all the off the screen stuff, that's really problematic. My head, my head did go to the place where it's like, now I'm probably spending too much time wanting to know how these two people got together in the first place. And again, not, not to say opposites can't attract, but the fact is they are very opposite with the kind of family she comes from and the kind of background he presumably has on top of that. I know about these people's off-camera personas, too, or what their other work has been. You know, all the baggage we just talked about with Shia LaBeouf, but what is Vanessa Kirby most known for? She's known for playing Princess Margaret on The Crown. She is literal royalty, like the highest of high class, and it's like, okay, this construction worker, Shia LaBeouf-looking guy is now with the princess. And, like, so I was still, like, thinking about that. It's like, I don't need the movie to, like— give me a bunch of flashbacks to like the start of their relationship that would feel kind of extraneous and maybe we don't need to go there, but I couldn't help just kind of think about it. Cause if you're going to like try and cast someone like Shia LaBeouf for that role with all the baggage Shia LaBeouf has, I feel like I'm going to need, like I'm going to need you to put a little more time into making me believe these people would be together. Sorry. I just would. Yeah. I, I have to say, I mean, Josh, I agree with everything you said. It was difficult at first to believe that, that the two of them um, would get together. Cause I think that's what made it hard you know, when Shia LaBeouf's character leaves, I'm like, yeah, good, go. Not just because of his behavior, but because he seems not, like, he doesn't seem to be adding anything to her relationship. And I, I understand that grief, especially the loss of a child for two parents, can be devastating. And it can be the, the beginning of the end of a marriage or a partnership. And it's funny, the, the first thing that comes to mind is Akilah and the Beaks. I watched that movie so many times. And her coach, who's actually his his daughter's name was Denise, funnily enough, he divorces his wife after Denise passes away. So that aspect of the relationship didn't 
um, that didn't come as a surprise because even in, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I was even recalling, I I had to look it up because I was like, did they, did, did he end up having an affair in rabbit hole? Nicole Kidman's husband has an almost affair with, uh, one of the grieving moms from that, like group therapy they go to for like parents. But then he says, I love my wife or something like that. I had to go back and, and, and do that. Cause I was like, is infidelity like, a, is infidelity a big, a big aspect of grief for some people? Perhaps it is. So yeah, I, I still felt like the two of them just, I don't know. I didn't feel this, this big connection between the two of them. Obviously that tender, the tenderness of the first 35 minutes of being new expen- expectant parents, it came through because both of them are talented actors as we mentioned, but I, I didn't feel the super big connection. So I was happy he was out of the picture because he was way too toxic. Lisa, you watched this movie with your mom. I would like to take this moment to apologize to Miss Kush Bhakti for uh, making her sit through a very upsetting movie after apparently Lisa had been making her watch a lot of depressing stuff. Let me, let me ask though, did you ask her, Hey mom, what's the biggest check you'd be willing to cut to get a, a toxic man out of my life? honestly i think she i think she would do the same we probably don't have as much money as the mom character does but i think my mom would honestly do the same i was kind of sad though adding to denise and uh your commentary josh you know this is an experience that is obviously deeply felt by a woman i want to be um respectful uh any person of course this is an experience felt by any person but i was really looking forward to understanding kind of the side of what a partner goes through that doesn't physically have the baby. And it, not that it felt cheap that Shia got to head out, but I was looking forward to seeing what a not healthy partnership, but I'm trying to put this into a phrase. I was looking forward to seeing what it would look like for a relationship and a couple to rebuild after a miscarriage, because I think that would have been also a great story to see, but I think uh, Sean's character in the movie wasn't healthy enough for that. So it was another interesting perspective to watch in the movie. Definitely. I, I, I do. I do. I think it is an interesting thing to wonder, like, what would this be like if it just had a different actor in it? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of like early thirties actors you could have gotten like play that part. And who knows, maybe it's someone that has like a similar background, but is uh, a, a similar blue collar background, but is more clean cut and mannered then Shia and maybe then you're not then you're one you're not thinking about all the Shia stuff and two uh maybe you're like okay I could kind of see why she might be into him more than we already more than we thought when in this version of the movie and at the same time the mom could easily just be annoyed that she married someone that was poor and and then uh you kind of you're kind of covered on both fronts there so I don't know but again I think we all still um enjoyed the movie even if we could uh we could nitpick with that Denise before we before we wrap up is there any, is there, are there any other points or any other corners of this movie that we didn't touch on that you wanted to oh wait you got we, we did kind of mention the supporting performances i mean i think it's a uh, pretty interesting casting for a movie of uh this subject matter to be like we're gonna go uh cast one of the uh most successful working female stand-up comedians as the the sister in this really messed up family and this hardcore drama and uh i don't know if uh benny safty is a, a a weird casting choice necessarily because he has acted in some of the Safety Brother movies, but like most notably, really, it was in Good Time where he uh, he played a, a crook with a, a developmental disability. So to have him play like the super clean cut husband to her, uh, that's also a real choice. Did you guys have any feelings on 
any of those other performances or anything else about this movie that uh, we didn't touch on? Because, I mean, I don't know if there's a ton to say about those performances, but it's it's inspired casting. Yeah, this is the, what they call an all-star cast. You're like, wow, they really, they, they came through with everyone. And, and an, an actor that, um, like an actor for everyone, right? You have people that like comedy. Um, you have Sassy Brother. You have Ellen Burson. Um, obviously, Vanessa Kirby for um, fans of The Crown. I think one I'm curious to know what you guys thought overall about um, symbolism and imagery, Um, you know, the cracked ice, obviously this like kind of ham-fisted Garden of Eden kind of imagery with the apples and life and, you know, having Ellen be a Holocaust survivor or like the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. I'm glad you you mentioned that. I meant to ask you about that specifically and it just slipped my mind. I mean, it seemed like they were coming close to like having some kind of interesting message about generational trauma. Because uh, that we we I, I, yeah I can't believe I tried to wrap up this up without actually like us having us talk about that scene. I mean, I, I think we can all agree like Oscar nominees for uh, Oscar nominations for either of them would not be undeserved. But uh, it was interesting though they made the choice of uh, making having her having having Elizabeth basically be like, look, I my my family went through this and I feel like a failure that I that you can't even get through this. Like I didn't do a good enough job as a mother. Uh, I, I don't know if they're having some kind of message about generational trauma there that I don't know if it totally came through, but at the same time, like super, super powerful. Uh, did that scene work for you, Denise? I think in some, on some level it did. Bringing up generational trauma is actually a great, I, I thought a little bit about it, but, um, you know, for people whose family, obviously, you know, you have, you know, black people in America, slavery is still, the effects of slavery are still felt. And when you have, um, Jewish people in America or anywhere in the diaspora who have lost maybe their entire family in the Holocaust, there are things that feel really visceral. So I think the the idea of survival and the idea of, of just mass death and grief, um, those were, were things that worked for me. I think I just, I don't know, it wasn't Ellen Burson's delivery per se, but it just felt like so much of the, the speech itself became a little bit more film student to me by the end of it. I, I guess I, I just like, I was following for a while and then it just, maybe it went on a beat too long. Um, but I still think I will say talking about that before you guys give even better color commentary than I do. Um, I still think that to tie it back to something that both of you talked about is burial. Burial is a big deal in Judaism. I, I like you do not cremate the body um, no matter how long um, the body was, in like, even if you had a stillbirth child, you still bury the body. Um, so I, I, I think that, um, having at least part of the family be Jewish and, and give that, that, that felt like something that was researched pretty well because, um, you know, ultimately she does, uh, cremate her daughter because she does spread the ashes over the water, which was a, an interesting choice as well. But I still think that like, um, Ellen Burson's character doing all of that made, total sense to me so yeah listen how, how did their showdown work for you and uh or if you have any other comments on the supporting performances because that was kind of all within the context of like a big scene where they all got together yeah like i mentioned before i i think i did see a few reviews that commented on how the supporting cast was kind of wasted but i thought it was such an interesting cast it kind of kept you holding on um it was funny because a friend actually sent me a film article and it was for a dramatic role in a film and they he thought that 
the picture was of Tina Fey. And I was like, I kind of wish that comedians would do more dramatic roles. And then you have Isla, Isla, I keep pronouncing, how do you pronounce her name? I'm sorry. Eliza. Eliza. Thank you. Eliza's in the film and she's doing such a dramatic role and you normally see her so raunchy and, and hilarious. So it was kind of nice to see that flip side because I think a lot of comedians can do it, but they're not scared, but they can do it, but maybe are typecast into the role of comedic person. So between her and between Benny, between Sarah, between Jimmy, I thought it was a really interesting supporting cast. I don't think they were wasted. I think it was just nice to see them um, being added into this. I feel like I had something else to add. Well, I mean, guess, but I forgot. Well, well, I mean, I, I, I agree with you though. This is already a two hour and six minute movie. And I've, we've, I've already spoken at length about the ways in which I think it could have not been that, but at the same mm-hmm. time, like it was that with all those characters in it, like if you give them all their moments too, that these, any of these critics want, and you're going to have a two hour and 35 minute movie, you really want to be uh, stuck in this, uh, mood for like two hours and 35 minutes however you feel about this movie's vibe i don't know if it's a vibe i want to be in for that long so i think it's interesting that these people got to be in this kind of movie i mean benny Safdie even gets a little bit of a comedic moment where it's like he i mean sean pressures him into just giving back the car and uh, strong arms him into like devising a scheme to help him uh, return the minivan that they tragically don't need anymore because they don't they're not gonna be a family that needs a minivan uh, but like that, that just played for laughs a little bit. He gets his own moment. I think it's, I mean, uh, Elijah Schlesinger has to do some interesting stuff just even by being present where she's not even saying much that whether it be there in the courtroom or making a comment here or there in that big family scene. I, I mean, I, I do think it's pretty impressive and that, I mean, she has that mode where she's has a much, much, much different off screen persona. And so I think they did a good job of giving them their moments and yeah, they could have given them more moments, but if they wanted to do that, they really needed to cut from somewhere else in the movie. In my opinion, Denise mentioned some of the symbolism, but then that's one area I think they could have cut because some of it just didn't work that much for me. Even if I think we've been pretty fair and I, uh, I did like, like a lot of the rest of the movie. So, um, Denise, any other final thoughts? No, I, th- I feel like we, we actually did a great job. I think we covered so much of this. We did. And, I think we did. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, you two are some of the, the most trusted sources I have when it comes to film. So I, I think that, I think we covered it. I, would I say that, you know, if I had to talk about a film, like not to even put this into a genre, but if I had to talk about the film that deals with, the loss of a child, the one I prefer, 100% rabbit hole, but this one is still, still holds up. It, it is a, you know, great performances by the cast. Um, and, and that those first 35 minutes are, are really good. And of course there, there are some highs, but, um, yeah, there were, I think ultimately we all agree that there were some things that uh, probably could have been cut along the way. Yeah. Lisa, any other final thoughts from you? Um, same as Denise. Now I got to see rabbit hole, but not to, not to vie for another film, but, uh, I really recommend pieces of a woman. It's nice. It's on Netflix. I know we're in the age of streaming. It's nice to watch something so raw and, and visceral in a hopeful way to tie it at the end. If you can get through the metaphors, I promise it's a really good watch. (laughs) Yeah. I I think I already uh, made my feelings pretty clear. I think it's definitely worth checking out though. I have, uh, though I definitely have some criticisms that others have had that I think are pretty fair, but if you want to be like up to date on stuff, like as we come through Oscar season, I think all of us agree that, uh, there are two Oscar worthy performances in this movie. I'm not sure if it's going to get really nominated for anything else, but I will be perfectly content if, uh, Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burson are recognized for their work. And if you're someone that likes to stay up to date on all the Oscar stuff, as we, you know, approach Oscar nomination time, which I mean, I guess it's going to be sometime in 
uh, early March, I would think, with how they pushed everything back, then definitely make time for this just so you can uh, be more informed and uh, credible when you have your takes. Uh, uh, Denise, uh, you've already talked a lot about Rabbit Hole. Have you been watching any movies that aren't about dead kids lately or any uh, TV shows that you want to recommend? Any other recommendations? I, if a friend of mine recommended, this is also sad, but a friend recommended, um, I don't know if either of you have seen it, and I guess it would count for another rom-com showing if we ever want to talk about it. It's uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World with Kira Knightley and Steve Carell. Um, no, and I actually had that on one of my like streaming service watch lists at some point because I like both of those people. Yeah, oh, so you haven't seen it yet? No. Okay, I would maybe we'll, maybe we'll do another podcast about that, the three of us again. Let's let's do it uh, sooner rather than later. But um, it's kind of a doomsday romance. Like the end of the world is nigh. There's an asteroid. People are saying their last goodbyes. They're doing things they never got to do. Um, and Steve Carell and uh, Keira Knightley's characters end up going on this like massive road trip and kind of become each other's companions uh, until you know doomsday. Interesting. I, well, I'm glad you recommended that because it's one that like I'd always kind of been mean to check out but didn't really ever have a personal recommendation from anyone so it's uh it's good to know you enjoyed that uh lisa have you been watching anything else lately you want to shout out to the listeners yeah my first thing of 2021 was uh watching pretend it's a city on netflix with uh fran Leibowitz and martin scorsese and i really love that because fran is hilarious she's just a dry sense of humor so it's really nice to watch. And also, as someone who lived in New York for a year, I really missed the city. So it was nice to see it from her perspective. And the fact that Martin Scorsese didn't cut out any of his laughs, and he laughs at everything Fran Leibowitz says, somehow makes it 10 times better. So I definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix. Interesting. I'm not super familiar with her. I've, I'm more familiar with people talking about her than actually anything that like she has produced or done herself. Though, it, just based on yeah. hearing people talk about uh, Martin Scorsese's uh is is this something he di- did he direct it too or did he like produce it and he's just in it? I believe he directed it okay. and he's like kind of host of the uh, question and answer events that they have. I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to watch it then, and um, as someone who's also fond of New York, though I've uh, and not had the pleasure of living there, I think it'd be kind of cool to uh, get her perspective on things based on what I've heard about her. Uh, only thing I really have to recommend at the moment, I I've worked my way through most of the uh, the Netflix uh, the Israeli show on Netflix, Fauda. Which is, um, which like my dad was recommending me like to watch was trying to recommend it to me for like the last three years basically, and I just like very resistant because like our tastes are not always aligned, and I thought it was just going to be like kind of a dumb shoot 'em up show that was just like hey like let's just watch the Israelis like be commandos and f shit up, and uh, it, there's more to that, and you know it is about them fighting Hamas, but like they and while I mean I'm not going to say like it depicts the terrorists in a good light because terrorists shouldn't be depicted in a good light. Like it actually like, makes everyone in the show a real character, which is like more than I was expecting. And I think it's actually like, uh, it's, it, it's a pretty good action show while also like having uh, p- really good character development. And I, uh, I recommend it. There's three seasons on Netflix that people can watch. If you just want to, if you feel like watching a show about some secret agents, you know, fighting terrorists, it's actually a pretty good version of that. So, uh, thanks dad for the recommendation. Sorry. It took me three years to watch it. Uh, it's the least I could do. He's finally starting to watch some of the good HBO stuff I've told him to watch. Uh, before we sign off, Lisa, uh, anything you want to plug your letterbox, Twitter, anything like that? Yes. I'm trying to be better about logging movies. I was really bad in 2020. Um, so don't look at my stats, but follow me on letterbox. It's at Lisa, Lisa, L I S S A twice. 
All right, Denise, I'm always wanting you to start putting stuff on Letterboxd again. It feels like you got away from it a little bit. I know you've been busy. Do you want to plug that out of your Twitter or anything? Yes. Uh, please follow me on Letterboxd. It's at it was a rom-com. Um, I do have to get a little bit better at... All you have to do is like two sentences. You're a writer that specializes in like probably more short form stuff. Like I just need like two funny sentences from you. That's all I'm asking. Okay. Okay. okay, okay. I need to watch more movies to write more funny things. That's, that's, that's I, true. That's, that's my true. new year's resolution. 2021 catch me. I'll have some sort of pithy two sentence thing, <laughs> yes. uh, when I'm not, uh, writing ads for beer. So there you, <laughs> there you go. Uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y on Twitter and letterbox podcast. Twitter is at rewind movie pod podcast. Gmail is the rewind movie pod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next on the podcast i think we're probably gonna uh hopefully if i can uh get it right with my schedule going to uh talk about promising young woman with a new guest and our recurring friend joey magidson uh probably at some point hopefully about exactly a month from now i will be talking with uh lissa and denise about a rom-com again and we're gonna be happy as we talk about uh to all to all the boys always and forever which is insane that i've been doing this podcast long enough that i will have uh done an entire trilogy of movies but uh that's what we're gonna be doing because they've uh joined me for the last two and we'll be uh hopefully talking about that one at some point around valentine's day so uh everyone stay tuned for that thanks to lissa and denise for joining me and we'll see you next time